you actually have to be a business operator. Mm -hmm. You can't just be somebody who's buying something. This isn't like shorting stocks or flipping paper. Like you actually have to execute the business plan too. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me today, I'm excited to have Jerome Myers. Jerome, how are you doing today, man? Great, Todd. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on the show. And a little bit about Jerome. He leads the Myers Development Group, which focuses on buying broken apartment building businesses and using their innovative thinking, their solid execution strategies to optimize the operational efficiencies. And currently, uh, he is the asset manager for approximately 90 units, 90,000 square feet of workforce housing across Virginia and North Carolina. And his company's on a mission to hold 1,000 doors by the end of 2028. Um, Jerome, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about your background and what your focus is uh, today and, and you know, where you came from and where you're at. Yeah, so I'm a corporate America dropout, right? I had the good fortune to build a $20 million division for a Fortune 550 company. And I was employee number two when I started. And by about August or September, we had about 175 employees working on this big project. And by the end of the year, we built about $20 million in revenue. My reward for that was laying about half those folks off. And imagine hanging up the phone on Christmas Eve and being told, hey, you can pick your team or somebody else can pick them. People are going to leave. It's probably in your best interest to pick the people that you want around. And so I went from Christmas through New Year's trying to figure out who would have a job in the new year. And I promised myself that that I'd never go through that again. I I wouldn't do that again. And fast forward to Thanksgiving of the same year. And I was doing the same thing again. And I said, this is it. I'm done. And as I started thinking, well, what am I going to do next? How am I going to produce income? Started thinking about a conversation I had on a stoop with my friend Deron, sophomore year of college. And he and I are sitting there talking. And we started doing the math, right? Because that's what engineering students do in their fun free time. <laughs> like I'm paying three ninety five. I got two roommates paying three ninety five. Same things happening downstairs in his unit. We multiplied it out around the complex. This guy's making seven hundred thousand dollars a year top line. We never seen him. We never talked to him. And so the question was, well, how do you do something like this? Uh, I'm the son of a soldier and a stay at home mom, and we didn't have people who own large apartment complexes coming over to the house for dinner. For that matter, we didn't have attorneys or anybody of real wealth that was coming over hanging out with us. So, you know, that concept was foreign to me. And so I did what you're supposed to do, right? Get good grades, get into a good school, get a good job, get married, have kids, work for 40 years, and then retire. And I kind of jumped off, you know, sooner than 40 years, but that was the path that I was on. And the one thing that I realized on that journey was like, it doesn't matter how much money you make the only real success that you have is significance. And I realized pretty quickly that my significance was limited in what I was doing and I started seeking more. Yeah, I really like that. It doesn't matter how much money you make, but uh, what, exactly how you said it, but your significance or what gives you significance and so important. I mean, money is, right? Money, money is important, right? But 
you know, there, there's more to life than just money. And that's super important to understand Like you've got to, got to do what brings you excitement, passion. I mean, and you're young, like you can't be stuck in this dead end job or a job where you're like, I got to lay off people every single year, man. I mean, that's a tough, that's a tough position to be in. You're telling all these people that, you know, they, they gotta, they don't have a job anymore. Uh, I can't imagine doing that every year. No, it it turned me inside out. I don't think I ate between Christmas and New Year's. Ugh, like yeah, it was, yeah, it was bad for me. Um, and I developed a reputation as a business leader who cared too much about their employees and was questioned from time to time and if I could make the tough decisions or if somebody would else have somebody else would have to do it for me. Mm. And so Jeez. this was just go ahead, let torture. them do it for me. I'm not. <laughs> so to, when you you quit that job did you did you just quit you had nothing or did you go to another job or did you just say i'm I'm done and i'm gonna i'm done i'm done i was out i'm done so I was done. so you're done you said i'm and then what did you so what did you do like how did you start making money like did did yeah. you have apartments already did what did you do no no so i <laughs> so I started knocking on every door, right? I had some runway before I was actually over, but I was on, I was knocking on every, I, I went to 10 different banks and they all told me no. I thought I was mm -hmm. going to grab an apartment and they all told me no. And so I ended up fixing mm -hmm. and flipping houses, right? Yeah. I'd saved a year's worth of expenses up. Um, you know, I was somebody who never really spent my bonuses. So I had some money in the bank and then I had some additional money to invest on top of that. So, you know, I was ready to rock and roll, but yeah, it was, all right, I've got a year to figure this out. And I just tucked a year and, and did all the things that I could do in order to start generating revenue. So picked up some houses, started going through the process. And that was actually how I got into the apartment. So I was sitting on the stoop of one of my fix and flip houses. And a guy pulled up, he was like, hey, let me check out your finishes. We're getting ready to do one down the street. And through that conversation, he mentioned that he was looking to buy an apartment building. And it was the same one that I had tried to buy when I first mm. walked out. And I was like, okay, well, don't leave me out the deal. Bring me in because they said I need experience, right? Because it didn't matter that I had an MBA or a professional engineer's license or a project management professional certification or any of that stuff. They didn't care about any of that. They didn't even care about the business that I just built. All they cared about was that I hadn't signed a loan for apartment complex the same size with the same business plan that I was planning to do on the one that I was trying to purchase. Yep. And so this guy had done that. And so I was able to get into the deal with him in the joint venture structure. And through that, there was a press release that happened since I was the asset manager for that deal. And then the banks were calling me instead of me calling the banks. And they wanted to know, hey, would you be interested in refinancing? Give us a call. If you got other projects in the pipeline, we'd love to talk to you about them. And that was the big step that kind of changed my trajectory because I was still sitting around trying to figure out how I was going to get the thing done. And had it not been for that interaction, I, I wouldn't be in the space today. My big takeaway from this, and I think that the listeners need to take this too, is that, you know, you, you met somebody, talked with them, 
and you knew how you had, how you could get in the door and you took that opportunity to figure out, to, to say, look, I'm partnering with you on this deal. And, and so that's how you got into real estate that's, or apartments. I mean, that's, and that's really cool. It's not that you had a ton of money. It's not that you knew a bunch of people with a bunch of money. No, you got in the door by just partnering with somebody who was actually taking action with what you wanted to do. It, it, as simple as that. And a lot of people can take what you just did and actually replicate that. I mean, it, it didn't take a ton of money. It didn't take a ton of, it, was, it really didn't take a ton of anything other than like you wanted this, like that's what you wanted and you knew exactly what you had to do to get it. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because it's difficult. That piece is difficult. Finding the person that wants to partner with you, yeah. especially on a recourse loan, because you're tying your financial future together, right? It's mm -hmm. really just like getting married. And so what Did I call sign people, on that loan. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's, that's the game. And so if you yeah. want to be an operator, you got to sign the loan, right? Yeah. I think some people get lured into being a limited partner in a syndication deal, thinking that it's experience for them. But if their true ambition is to be an operator, you've got to sign, mm -hmm. right? That's the only way you have the credibility with the banks. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Agree. Well, really cool. Um, so, so you got into that deal. What, like what next? Yeah. So we, we went through that deal. It was a mess, man. And it, it was, I'm glad the banks didn't lend to me on my own. God, if I'm completely <laughs> honest, right? In hindsight, cause I'd be bankrupt, right? They knew what they were talking about. It was harder than I thought. It took longer than I expected yeah. it to take. Yeah. And you know, on the back end, we're getting more money than we expected to get. Like we took those rents from 695 to 1195, but the, what it took to get there, was excruciating. I mean, we went to zero occupancy mm. and just were writing checks to pay the mortgage and all this other stuff. And I couldn't have made it through that storm on my own. So having other partners in the deal was a lifesaver for me. So I took that experience and I went to South Beach. I didn't actually go to Florida, but I came down to North Carolina. That deal was in Richmond, Virginia. I came down to Greensboro, North Carolina. And we did another deal with me and some buddies from high school and college. And then, you know, we've done four deals here in North Carolina since that deal in Richmond. And the goal is just to continue to do them. Um, really focused on workforce housing, focused on finding ways to grow the net operating income. And it's, it's either raising rents or reducing expenses. And I think that's what I like about the business most is it's pretty simple. You do one or two things and be able to make it worth more and you can make the equity play. Um, we, we typically buy stuff that is requires a recourse loan up front. And then we want to refinance that out into agency debt. And we like the idea of being able to return all the money that's been invested by the partners in the first three or four years of the deal. And that gives us the flexibility of keeping it forever or we've held it long enough where you know, we probably have a proven trailing 12 that we can take in the market and get top dollar for the property. Yep. Yep. Awesome. That's a great strategy. Uh, are you, when you say, you know, you're trying to get the money back out, are you bringing in, are you doing syndications or are you doing joint ventures? Like what are you doing right now? 
Yeah, all we've done so far is joint ventures. We yeah. we are working on a development deal that's 120 units, which we will probably Gr- send it ground to. up or redevelopment. Yeah, ground up. Ground up. Okay. Yeah, we're we're getting pretty deep into the HUD application now, so it's super exciting to see this thing cool. come together. But um, yeah, all of the stuff that we've bought that's already been built from a reposition standpoint, it's all been joint ventures with the goal to do larger ones. The syndication model, I think, works for a ton of people. But for me, where I grew up, you know, just kind of my network in general, it was a really heavy lift to go out and create all these new relationships with the intention of getting them to invest in my project. That was something that I didn't, if I'm completely honest, I didn't want to focus on. Like, at my core, I'm an operator, right? I want to fix the problems. I want to come up with the strategy and then measure against the plan and see where we are and make adjustments and tweaks. Like I want to be the gladiator in the arena or the fighter jet pilot that's in the dogfight. I, I, all of the other stuff isn't really exciting to me, but I remember sitting in a mastermind and a, one of the most well-known educators in the space said, Jerome, if you don't figure out how to raise money, your business is going to die. And I was like, man, I don't want to go be the guy that's figuring out how to raise money. And so it's, I've studied some of the folks that are in the space that, you know, I've partnered and they've got one guy focused on money or, you know, investor relations, another guy on operations, asset management. And it's just like, I don't know if I want to do all that or can, is there a way that I can just stay smaller, do these deals that are between 10 and a hundred units with a small group of people who, actually want to get their hands dirty and partner by project instead of forming a company that's a partnership. And so that's the path that I'm going down. We're executing that on the um, ground up development. And we've been able to successfully execute it on all the projects that we've bought so far. And so it's just probably a cap on dollar amount, but depending, I, I was fortunate enough to be at a, Dan Hanford's Multifamily Investors Nation Summit. And he had Dave Lindahl there. And Dave talked about how he went from joint ventures to syndication back to joint ventures. And so what he was able to do is find some extremely high net worth people that he does joint ventures with now. And so that gave me hope that maybe I don't actually have to be a syndicator. Maybe I can just do the deals I've been doing and by building a solid track record and reputation, be able to do these larger joint ventures with the small group of people, but just have bigger balance sheets and liquidity ability or capacity. Yeah, yeah. And, and here's, the, here's the deal to, to all the listeners out there. Syndication is a business. It's, it's a, so it's a full business, raising money, dealing with the investors, that whole investor relationship part uh, and communication. I mean, that's, that's a full business, right? And then also buying the assets, managing the assets, asset management, getting your hands dirty, being the fighter pilot, like you mentioned, that's a full another business. So you've essentially got two businesses. And so what you're saying, actually, I, and I disagree. I don't know who the, the who the, the uh, educator was. I disagree with that assessment. You can grow, you can scale with doing what you're doing and you're doing you're and you're proving it you're doing it right now now is it gonna could you get a thousand units quicker 
if yeah. you did a syndication. Sure. But here's the thing. How much of that thousand units would you own? Right. So when you look at what you're doing, you're buying, let's call it a, a 50 unit building and maybe you're 25 or 35, maybe even 50% owner of that right. building. It's you and a couple of people. Well, when you do this syndication and you're buying that 50 unit building, now you're 70% of the profits typically go to the investors and you're 30. And now if you have a couple of partners, now all of a sudden you own 10%, maybe even less of that asset. It goes really quickly. And so there's no really, in my opinion, right or wrong way to do it. You're doing the way that works well for you. And that's what's really important. You just told me you're not, you're not really into raising money. It doesn't get you excited, but it, what gets you excited is being down and dirty, being the fighter pilot, doing that. That's what you need to do. And you're, yeah. you're, you're proving to us that that works, right? You're proving to us yeah. that that's a strategy that you can do. You don't have to do this indication. Now, could you pivot and could you go, Hey, I want to start doing that. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Hi, I'm Matt Jones. And if you're like me, you're looking to grow your real estate business while connecting with others. There's this incredible new virtual experience unlike any other. I'm talking about the North Star Real Estate Conference. It's coming to you online this October 22nd and 23rd. And it's not like one of those boring webinars you find all the time out there. No, this is going to be interactive. You're going to have the opportunity to network and grow relationships with not only the other attendees, but with the speakers as well. So you can sign up today online at nreconference.com and use the code DEX, D-E-X, for $50 off. I think, Tata, I think that operations is undervalued. Yeah. Right? I think everybody- 100%. Right? Everybody's excited about raising money. They're excited about finding the deal. But when you look at the timeline for ownership, that six months before you close the deal is a whole lot shorter than the 60 months that you own the deal. Yeah, and yep. the skill sets necessary in that ownership yep. period are all about operations and being able to manage a manager and look Absolutely. around the corner and forecast what's going to happen. And people, nobody talks about that piece. Yep. And so, you know, that's why I focus. I think it's a differentiator. And I think, you know, the stuff with the pandemic and a lot of other stuff is going to prove to people that you actually have to be a business operator. Mm -hmm. You can't just be somebody who's buying something. This isn't like shorting stocks or flipping paper. Like you actually have to execute the business plan too, as well as buy right. Because people think, well, all your money's made on the buy. It's only made on the buy if you execute the business plan. If you don't execute the business plan, you're probably worse off than you were, even if you did buy it right. Yeah, 100%. And that that right there is gold. And so important. Most people blow that up because we look, I mean, you know, what, what's, what sounds more attractive? You just saying, Hey, I raised $10 million for a deal and I got this property under contract and, uh, or I got this property purchased. It's a 400 unit, beautiful building or talking about asset management. Like yeah. that's kind of boring, right? The, right? But that's what actually makes the success of, of the building. And that's what you enjoy doing. And that's, so that's what you, you're an engineer, man. That's what yeah. you need to focus on. <laughs> right. No, yeah. I, so it's very powerful right there is though what we're talking about in my opinion. I mean, there's so much focus on, Oh, I got 
10,000 units, 5,000 units. I raised millions of dollars and that's all impressive and good, but there's also the more important part of how are you executing the business plan? Are you being successful in it? And uh, you know, that that's what we're talking about. So, and that, that's, that's really cool. Um, and give us a, uh, give us a, a, a mistake or um, a hurdle that you've, encountered and how how have you learned from it oh boy where you want me to start right no, like, no, just one so, just one <laughs> yeah i the one that i like to use the most is because it's, it's so simple but it's such a big deal right so when i was modeling the first deal that we bought in greensboro i modeled the taxes as a thousand dollars right on a eight hundred and forty thousand dollar purchase price anybody who models knows that's wrong right it i get a tax bill at the end of the year for ten thousand dollars plus interest and fees for not paying on time we closed the day before the bills were released and they sent the bill to the apartment complex instead of sending it to the owner's address so we never got the tax bill i misread the hud and thought that the attorney paid the taxes at closing we get to the end of the road. I modeled it as a thousand dollars. It was ten thousand dollars and some change because of all the taxes and fees. And I had to figure out how we were going to make that nine thousand dollar gap, right? Because I was thinking we were good and cleared until the next year, but now we had this delinquent bill. And so having somebody who can look at your model is a huge deal. And I think so many yeah. people. And they watch a video or they hear somebody give the rules of thumb and they're like, okay, I'm good. I know what I'm doing. And I'm here to tell you, like, I thought I knew what I was doing too. This wasn't my first rodeo and I totally missed it. The bank missed it. Um, some other guys that were in the deal completely missed it too. And so having other people review the work that you do is extremely important. And I don't think most people institute inequality control yeah. in the, in the modeling space or yeah. the underwriting space. And somebody was joking and said more lies have been told in Excel than they have in Microsoft word, right? Where you can make the spreadsheet say just about make anything. Make it look good. Right. Yeah. You can make those returns look amazing. If you got, you know, the SDA for Michael Blaine, you could turn all the boxes green, but then it comes back to the operations. Can yeah. you actually produce what you've put on that paper? And not just you, but your property manager and the rest of the team. Can you actually run it based on that schedule? And, you know, to go hand in hand with that, the thing that I've learned through some of the rehabs we've done is like some of that stuff just takes longer than you expect it to take. Some of it costs just a little bit more than you wanted it to cost. Or somebody else moves out when you only thought that you were going to have a few people move out. For example, that same deal, we thought we were going to renovate five units. We renovated 15, mm. right? That, if you don't pan properly, you end up in a world of hurt with something like that. Fortunately, we were, you know, pulling in some pretty good cash and we could pull some stuff off of cash flow. But, you know, that's against the rules too, right? You, you don't rehab out of the cash flow. And so, you know, just being able to be agile and know that your pro forma is important and having somebody else look over it to make sure that it's reasonable and ask questions about the things that might not 
be totally accurate or opportunities to be more conservative is core because once you get on the operation side, you can't go back and rewrite the pro forma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. There's so many times that I can think of that, you know, same, same type of thing. And, and one, you know, you had the partners, you had the lender, but you can't count on them unless you like, for me, you have to tell your partners, like look over my underwriting, double check everything, go through, you know, it has to be like, somebody has to be all out there and actually go through because most people just look at it and go well jerome was doing right i mean like he, he's the guy right so yeah looks good boom we're done push it off no no i want you to look through the, my numbers because what if i missed a zero what if you know what if we're just somehow off on something that could be big like it, you're lucky it was only nine thousand dollars what happens if it was you know ninety thousand dollars something like that. I mean, if it was a big mistake on the rehab side or something, you know, all of a sudden, wow, holy cow. Now what do we do? So, yeah. Yeah. And I did have something happen on the rehab side where, you know, we thought we were only going to need $2,500 for some of our AC units and it ended up being twice that. It's all good if you're doing a single family home and you got to spend 5,000 instead of 2,500, but you know, multiply 2,500 by 13 or 14 and you get in trouble really quick. Right. Mm -hmm. And a whole lot of people can't write that check to fix it. Yeah. Right. That, that's just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you took this big leap by quitting your job, nothing to fall back on, got into this multifamily game and have had success with it. What are, maybe three success habits that you can pass on to our listeners so they can get to where you're at. Yeah. I think the first one is to be patient, right? Like it's easy to think that you're going to have quick success because everybody on social media is making it look like there is no struggle. There is no pain. Yeah. And that's the furthest thing for the truth. Everybody is working like mad behind the scenes and then showing up cool, calm and collected. Right. Mm. But they are working their tails off or they work their tails off for a long time. And now the person that you see has built a system on the back end where they don't do a whole lot of the heavy lifting because they've already done those things. And yeah. so yeah. there's no such thing as overnight success. Um, and until you, accept that then well you have to accept that in order to persist through it and so persistency is the next thing right so it's not going to happen extremely fast but when it does happen it's going to be because you overcome more hurdles than you expected to encounter along the journey right? and so you have to know that you just have to keep going through it know that you're heading in the right direction and it's just a matter of time before you get there and so once you endure all of those hurdles, I think the last thing is just not, so people take their foot off the gas, Todd, right? You start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. You're like, I'm, I'm getting there. I see it happening. And they start to relax instead of like running all the way through the line. Yeah. And it's when they pull up that somebody comes in and gets the deal or somebody doesn't do the piece that they're supposed to do and because they weren't paying attention 
um, they just missed the opportunity that they were so close to closing. And so I think the last thing is just like taking your foot off the gas. Like yeah. you've got to keep going all the way through the line with the thought that if you don't finish through the line, that something's going to happen and derail the plan. And, you know, I've done that where it's like, okay, I'm good. I don't have to do this anymore. And sure enough, as soon as I do that, everything starts to crumble and fall apart. And it's like, what in the world is happening? And the reality is, well, if you kept hammering the nail until the nail was all the way in the woods, you don't have to worry about it backing out. And, you know, anybody who's put a deck together will know what I'm talking about. You got to get it all the way in or people are cutting their feet on the bottom. The board starts to warp. It's all messy. And so, you know, those would be the three if I had to pick three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I like them. Very, very, very uh, good advice. And that letting up too soon, man, I, I, it's just like all these thoughts are coming through my head. Like, oh, my, you know, th- this happened and I just, I, I just let, I can't, I can remember deals. I mean, fairly recently there was a deal that I had negotiated with this seller and got super close on. And one of the biggest hurdles was that uh, the interest rates were climbing. At the time, and so I was underwriting a little more aggressively because what were well the interest rates then dropped like a rock, and I never this was like maybe six twelve months later the interest rates dropped like a rock. I never reengaged until it was too late. Somebody else put it on a contract for about four hundred thousand dollars higher than what I negotiated the seller down to, and they bought it. And, and the numbers worked beautifully for me at the new interest rates. But I was, I, I let my foot off the gas too soon, right? I wasn't hammering. I didn't put the nail all the way down until the deal was completely dead. There was just one little hurdle and that hurdle got solved and I didn't pay attention. So it's so, so true. It happens to everybody. You, you have to keep on going and, and that's the only way to success for sure. Without question. And man, I wish you would have got that one. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. <laughs> so do I. Uh, hey, it happens, you know, move on to the next one. But at the same time, it's like, you've got to learn your lessons too along the way. And, and you, you have to be persistent. If you're not persistent in the business and, and patient, like you said, uh, you're just not going to find that success. Um, so you want to get 2000 units. You want to keep on going, um, with that. That's, that's really awesome. Are there any other goals or are there any other passions that you have that you want to try to, uh, achieve? Yeah. I mean, for me, I guess there's two things that I'm working on kind of dually. One, I think there's a lack of diversity in the multifamily ownership space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I started talking on podcasts and working with conference organizers because of that because you know I was doing my own thing I, I was mildly successful in my corporate life and I was figuring stuff out in the apartment space but there just wasn't anybody actually telling the story from somebody who looks like me right and so I wanted to start to help change that narrative one because there's a ton of people who are interested in the space but I thought back to a conversation I had with one of my mentors back in probably 2008. And I told him, man, you're the only executive of African descent at this company. There's probably 17,000 employees there. Mm. I said, you are the light that shines to the people like me who wonder if they can actually do that here. 
And when I started thinking about the track record and success that I was building, and I started to look across the space, it was like, where, where are those people for the people who are in the place that I was in two years ago or three years ago or four yeah. years ago? And I still didn't know how to find them. And, you know, that was probably one of my biggest mistakes if I if bring things full circle when I walked out is I didn't know that you could go to real estate conferences and meet partners and get education and all that. I, I didn't know any of that, right? So, but when you look at the people who are holding microphones around the country, you know, I just want there to be some diversity and I realized I was part of the problem. And so I felt like it was important for me to start sharing that story with people. When I pivot off of that and what other goals? So for me, we focus on workforce housing, right? And it's about doing good in the community and making money for the people on our team that partner with us. And so what does that mean? Well, workforce housing is the firefighters, teachers, police officers, the people that make the world go around. They're never going to get rich from their jobs. They're going to have to do something outside in order to become independently wealthy. But they deserve a, a decent, affordable place to live, right? And they don't need to live in the best thing from 50 years ago. We, we can come in, we can renovate those things, bring them up to modern standards so that they've got a great place to come home and rest after a long, arduous day on the job. And I think they deserve that, right? And so we go in and we look for those properties that haven't been renovated, maybe have some deferred maintenance as a lackadaisical owner, and we want to come in and, and spend those things up and increase the rent to accommodate the higher level of service and the nicer amenities and allow those people to live in those communities and not charge an exorbitant amount of money, but charge fair market rent because they're able to afford that. And I think they deserve that. I, I It bothers me when I go on due diligence tours and see how some owners leave the property just because they can't and because nobody cares. And I think it's a classic situation of the haves and the have-nots. And I think there's kind of been this quiet war happening between the rent strikes, right? The people who say, oh, the landlords, they got all the money. We don't have to pay them. Don't worry about it. Don't pay your rent. And the landlord saying, hey, I'm running a business. I need income in order to pay expenses. And then hopefully if I do everything right, there's profit at the end of the road. And so, you know, balancing those two things and really making the investment, because we believe that if we make the community a better place, like one property at a time, that it will reward us, right? Rents will go up because the area is more desirable. People will feel safe and they'll enjoy living there so they won't move away. And, you know, that's really where you make your money, right, Ty? You make your money when people stay year over year because you're not going in and turning the units and renovating each year. So... That, that's our goal is to build community uh, and really focus on giving those folks who make the world go around a quality place to live. That's awesome. That's awesome. And good for you, man. So, so many people, I think, are looking at the, the paycheck at the end of the day and that's it. And of course, that's important, right? You're not doing this business to lose money, but you also are doing this business to, to serve those who are your clients, which are your tenants. Uh, you know, any company that's successful is just serving their clients first and foremost profit comes because of that uh, the the mentality of uh, it, it, you know where you said people have these units that they just don't care about the tenants or whatever and it's just that mentality of oh it's just a rental like it's just a rental 
Well, you know, I, I remember when I was, I was doing a lot of flips and we, I was buying rentals at the same time and I would flip the properties and I would do uh, renovate my rentals and I would renovate my rentals to the same, same standard as my flips. And it's a lot of people that would tell me, well, what are you doing? It's just a rental. Like you can't do that. And for me, it was like, well, wait, why, why, why am I treating these people that are going to buy a house better than these people that are going to rent a house? It doesn't make any sense to me. And what you just said is so true. Like you, these people want to and deserve a good place to live. So that's, that's really cool. And I commend you for that. Um, so I got two last questions, maybe three. We'll see. I got a couple last questions before we wrap up. Um, what's a favorite book you could pass on? Yeah, Millionaire Success Habits by Dean Graziosi has been the one that has been most impactful over the last six months or so. Yeah, I like that book. Um, what's uh, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Ooh, ooh. So spend less than you make, ooh. right? Invest in income-producing assets, and be generous with your proceeds and you know you can send that wherever you want to but be willing to um, donate to some form of charity yeah super important what do you what do you like to do to give back so my family created a scholarship at the university that i went to and so it gives an engineering student a full ride for you know being a high performer oh that's awesome that's awesome great job um how can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you, if they want to connect with you, how can they do that? Yeah. So we've got a free four step guide. If they're interested in learning more about why we like joint ventures over syndications. And that's at myersmethods.com, M-Y-E-R-S-M-E-T-H-O-D-S.com. They can just jump in there, get that and a bunch of other goodies. And um, if they want to sign up for the closed Facebook group on the backside of that, they can get access to a two-hour training and um, a weekly mastermind. And then I'm really active on LinkedIn. That's my social media platform of choice. And they can find me, Jerome Myers, and I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina. Awesome. Awesome. We'll put that all in the show notes. Uh, Jerome, really appreciate uh, talking with you. I, I had a really good time uh, talking with you and just like the sincerity that you bring to the conversation, which is, which is really cool. So appreciate that. And uh, I wish you the best moving forward. Thanks, Todd. I really appreciate the opportunity to share with you today. Yeah, definitely. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com. 
and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, you want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out, and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.